Thank you for listening to the Three Strands Church Sermon Podcast. Have you ever considered the impact of your words? We will uncover what God has to say about them in our series, May the Words of My Mouth. Well, we're finishing up this series, May the Words of My Mouth, and I always say at the end of the series, if you've enjoyed it, I'm sorry, it's about to end. <laughs> if you've hated it, it's almost over, okay? So just bear with us one more, one more Sunday. But again, we got that, um, the title of that series from Psalm 1914, which says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Way back in week one, we talked about stick stones and words and how they really do carry some weight and they hurt. The second week, we talked about how it came from within. And we say things like, that's not like me to say that. Yeah, it is. It overflowed from our heart. And then last week, we talked about speaking life and uh, how just to listen to what God says, say what God says, and watch what God does. And in Proverbs 18.21, it says, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit you choose. And so every day, um, actually many times throughout the day, we either give life or speak death. Uh, we offer up poison or fruit. Ephesians 4.15 says this, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. That's where we're going today. Okay? Um, that Mark Driscoll video, that clip we watched at the very beginning, he summed up almost everything that we're going to talk about this morning. So let's just jump right in. Dr. Matthew Lieberman, he is a neuroscientist, he wrote an article about our tendency to use the language of physical pain to describe the relational or emotional pain that we experience. And so sometimes we will say things like, she broke my heart. I hear that a lot in high school. Okay, she broke my heart. The word break is this physical expression, but we use it to describe something that's been done to our heart. Or he hurt my feelings, right? Or when she spoke those words, it felt like I got punched in the gut. You ever said that? We have these expressions where we use physical pain to capture our relational hurt that we've experienced. And so this doctor decided to study the differences in the brain uh, when we experience physical pain versus when we experience relational or emotional pain. And here's what he found. Here's what he says. He says, to your brain, a broken heart looks a lot like a broken leg. Looking at an analysis of the brain, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. When humans experience threats or damage to their social bonds, the brain responds the same way it responds to physical pain. Isn't that amazing? I mean, most of us, when we read that, we wouldn't argue with that, would we? I mean, most of us would take physical pain any day of the week over some of the emotional pain that we have experienced in our lives, over some of the words that have been spoken to us. Our words have that kind of impact. We've learned they have that kind of power. And you know what? We mentioned this last week, but we tend to recognize this when it comes to the words that are spoken to us. But we're slower to see it when it comes to the words that you and I speak to other people. And so we'll blow up in, on somebody in anger, and then we'll later on we'll say, like, hey, I really didn't mean that. Or we'll dismiss it by saying, well, I just needed to vent. But emotional pain is more like taking a knife, stabbing someone, and pulling it out and saying, hey, I didn't really mean to do that. Okay? I mean, what do we expect them to say? 
if that happened, right? I mean, okay, well, as long as you didn't mean to, you know, I'm bleeding out over here, uh, but don't worry about it as long as you didn't mean to. It's okay. Our words have that kind of weight, the doctor found. We can't just erase them and take them back after we've said them. We can't unscramble the egg, so to speak. And I've shared this with others, um, but even as I've taught through this series, it has been extremely difficult to control my own tongue throughout this past month. And I've found especially on the baseball field, okay? And I'm not talking about like using cursing or profanity. I don't really struggle with that. But just like gossiping without even recognizing it or, or unintentionally degrading other people without even thinking that I'm doing that. And I'm starting to realize, this is this past month anyway, that this is a bigger area of struggle or bigger area of sin in my life than I want to believe that it is. In James chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, he says, People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It's restless and evil, full of a deadly poison. And maybe throughout this series, the past few weeks, you've been trying to do some things differently. And like me, you feel like you just cannot tame your tongue. Well, I want you to know this morning that I'm right there with you. Okay, it's very frustrating for me to get up each week and teach about this topic on the weekend and then struggle so bad throughout the week. I mean, I find myself on more than one occasion using harsh tone with my kids rather than building up. I've been tearing down. I've been sarcastic with my wife. And I'm just telling you that if somebody were to record some of the words that I've said this past month and came up here and they played it in front of all of you all, I'd be embarrassed. I really would. I'd feel like a hypocrite for even teaching this stuff. But you know what I know? I know that that's true for you as well. I mean, if I bugged your house or I bugged your car and recorded some of the conversations you've had over the past month, we know you don't it, right? I mean, we're all in the same boat together. It's a struggle for us all. And so one of the things that can help us in this area is to realize that when we speak this way, that we're not just sinning against the person we're talking about, but that we're sinning against God. Ever thought about that? I mean, it's also an offense to God when we speak this way. It's not just hurtful to that person, but it's also hurtful to the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 4 in the, in the middle of this uh, weighty section in verses 29 through 31. Paul's talking to us about our words and he's talking about getting rid of things like bitterness and slander, uh, rage, anger. And in the middle of that, he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Meaning that the words we speak to each other, they carry that kind of weight. That, that word grief has emotion to it. Uh, it's God kind of listening in, eavesdropping on our conversations, and it grieves Him that there's sorrow caused by some of the words that we say to one another. Our words not only matter to other people, but they also matter to God. So as we wrap up this series, I want to just look at one of the ways that we've been taught in the Bible to use our words that many of us struggle with, okay? So that's where we're going to end up today. For, for most of us, if we were asked about the sins that we struggle with, uh, we would probably list sins of commission, meaning things that we do, 
things that we commit, words that we say that we shouldn't have said that we wish we could have back. But you know, when it comes to our mouths, there's also sins of omission. Things we should say, but we don't. Never thought about that? So we're challenged in the scriptures about this very thing and what we want to talk about this morning. In Ephesians 4, uh, Paul challenges the church in Ephesus to deepen and mature in their faith. And in verse 14, he's telling them not to be blown about and tossed around by the culture they live in, but to have this firm, strong foundation. That's what he's uh, challenging them with. And he says in verse 15, instead of getting blown and tossed around, he says, instead, as followers of Jesus, instead we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Paul says we're to grow and to become more like Jesus. That's the entire Christian life. Every day we're trying to grow and become more like him. And one of the ways we do that, he says, in this verse, is to speak the truth in love to one another. And I just think most of us aren't very good at that, so I thought it'd be good to talk about that this morning. This is where we have someone in our life where we've invited them to speak some tough love into us, to share some hard truth that sometimes it's difficult to hear. Maybe they help us see some things that we may have missed. They bring attention to some areas in our life that we need to look at. But they do it in a spirit of love because they care about us. Our sin will blind us and it will keep us from seeing the truth about ourselves. So we need each other. You ever thought about that? That, that our sin just blinds us. It keeps us from seeing this. And we got to have each other so we don't miss it. This idea is also captured in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, when it says this. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. So we need to be committed to doing this for other people and having other people do this for us with their words, but to do it in a spirit of love. So a lot of people do this, but they don't do it with the right spirit. And we're going to talk about that. So there's a few things found in, in these verses that will, will help us with this. Okay. And the first one is this. First of all, it's been based on the fact that you've been filled with God's word. Paul said to let the message about Christ fill our lives. And so the words we speak, uh, this, this tough love, as I like to call it, it's not based out of our own emotion, the words we speak. It's not based because we're offended or we're going by our legalistic set of rules. The words we speak are based upon what God has said, his word. And so that's the first thing. The, the second thing that will help us with this is this to be done mutually. Mutually, Paul says to teach and counsel each other. That's mutually, right? So this isn't just one-sided. It's not just one person who's somehow in this place of spiritual superiority telling everyone else what they're doing wrong. It's not a, I'm going to do this for you, but nobody gets to do this for me kind of thing. That's not the attitude here. It's done mutually. It's done for each other. And then the third thing that will help us, the Bible says it's to be done with all wisdom. Meaning that when we speak hard truth into someone's life, it's not done impulsively or recklessly, but it's done thoughtfully and intentionally. 
Okay, so we've been filled with God's word. It's mutual, mutual, and we do it with all wisdom. But you know, our tendency is to sometimes speak the truth in anger, isn't it? Instead of love. To speak the truth in irritation, in bitterness, or this happens a lot with a self-righteous attitude. God says, no, I don't want you to do that. You speak the truth in love with all wisdom. And so the question we need to think about is this. Just ask yourself, when's the last time that you had someone in your life do this for you? Just be real and open and transparent and honest with yourself. When's the last time you had somebody in your life do this for you? They sat down and they spoke some truth to you in love. They, they said some things that were hard for you to hear. Maybe they said something like, you know what, um, I've really struggled with this area in my past and, and someone said something to me about it. And I just see a red flag in your life that I missed in mine. And so you're not going to want to hear this. And to be honest, it's kind of hard for me to even say, but because I love you, I want to talk about it with you. And they sat down and they had a loving conversation with you. When, when's the last time that happened? And can I ask you this? If it's been a while, why is that? Why is it? Is it because we've got this thing all figured out and we don't need people like that in our lives? I mean, like there's really nothing left to fix. I'm pretty much doing okay. I mean, or is it because nobody has permission in your life to do that? Which is probably more accurate. I mean, have you ever invited anyone to speak into your life like that? Maybe those close to us know that it's not okay. And if they speak to you like that, it's not going to be okay because you're going to let them have it. Well, when's the last time you did this for somebody else? I mean, not that you got in somebody's face and you told them what they're doing wrong and you just vented on them. Not that at all. But in a spirit of love, you just spoke some hard truth, some tough love to someone. I mean, it's uncomfortable, I know. But Jesus says that the truth would set us free. That's what he said. It's worth it. And you know what? The truth will set you free, but sometimes it's going to pin you down first, right? It will set you free, but sometimes it's going to pin you down first. That's the way truth works. And it's not easy, but it's worth it. But what we risk by not saying anything, listen, is much greater than what we risk by saying something. You ever thought about that? What we risk by keeping our mouth shut and minding our own business, okay, is far greater than what we risk by saying something. And I'll explain here in a moment and give you an example. But in Ezekiel 33, verse 6, uh, one of the verses Dan read, there's a metaphor that God uses to help Ezekiel understand the weight of what he's been called to as a prophet. To hear from God and speak on God's behalf. And he said this. He says the metaphor, but if the watchman sees the enemy coming and doesn't sound the alarm to warn the people, he's responsible for their captivity. They'll die in their sins, but I, listen, I will hold the watchman responsible for their deaths. Think about that. I mean, if the watchman sees the enemy coming to attack and he doesn't say anything because they don't want to or it might be uncomfortable or, hey, people are sleeping or it's just not a good time, 
they're the ones who are held responsible for their captivity, he says. So listen, God wants us to be watchmen for one another. That's what he's called us to do. He's asked us to do, to be a watchman for each other. We have a responsibility if we see the enemy at work or attacking in some area of another person's life within the church I'm talking about here, then we have to say something. We can't just pretend that everything's okay. But listen, we do it in a spirit of love. Do you, you know some people like confronting people? Some people love it. And let me just say, if you're one of those people who like confrontation, it means you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. That's not the spirit in which we approach each other. It's done more often times than not with a heavy heart. You know, our tendency is usually just to pretend like everything's okay when we know it's not okay. Let's say you have this friend, okay, who's spending an increasing amount of time with this lady from work. He's married, and you know down deep that the relationship is inappropriate, or at the very least, it's unhealthy for his marriage. And you know that you should say something. You just feel it. You feel like God's saying, hey, go speak to him. Go talk to him. But you don't really have any evidence. And it would be very awkward and uncomfortable for you. And so you don't say anything. And about four months later, your friend leaves his wife and two kids to be with this woman. It was risky to say something, wasn't it? But what you risked by not saying anything is now much more significant. You understand? We oftentimes will make excuses for people by rationalizing what they do. You know, we'll say things like, well, uh, they're just under a lot of stress right now. You know, I don't blame her. She needs to get out of the house and blow off some steam. I don't blame her for doing that. But really what we're doing is making an excuse for ourselves so that we don't have to have a difficult conversation. That's really what we're doing. Some of you have had some people do this for you. And in hindsight, you can somewhat see the difference that it made. I mean, the truth is it's difficult to see in hindsight because it was the fact that they did speak some truth to you that caused you to take a different path or caused you to um, go a different route or make a different choice. And you appreciate it now, but you really never found out the outcome of the other path because you didn't go down it. And so maybe it was a friend who, who said to you one time, hey, you know, I feel like your drinking is a little bit more of a problem than you like to admit. And you know what? It just scares me. I mean, I love you and I care about you. And, and to be honest, man, I just don't want to see you hurt. And so you made some changes in your life. Didn't like it at first when they told you that. Okay, made you a little angry, a little defensive, but you thought about it, you made some changes in your life, you got some help, and you stopped drinking. Now, now what did that save you from? It's kind of hard to know, isn't it? But I guarantee it saved you from some destruction in your life. Or maybe you had a friend who cared enough about you to challenge you when it came to some, some guy you were dating who wasn't a Christian. He didn't believe what you believe, and your friend was concerned about where it was going to lead if you continued to date him. And at the time when she brought it up, I mean, you just thought it was none of her business, right? I mean, in your mind, you're thinking, well, at least I have a boyfriend. That's more than I can say about you, right? That's what you were thinking in your head, you know? You got defensive at first, 
But then you began thinking more and more about it. And eventually, you broke up with him. And every now and then you see his profile just pop up on Facebook, and you're very thankful. So thankful that a friend cared enough about you to say something. Because now looking back in hindsight, that's not the guy you would want to be the father of your son. No way. Can't even believe I was thinking about dating him. Right? Or you know, it could be as simple as having a close friend put in a restriction passcode on your iPhone where only they know that password so the content that's rated M for mature or R or X never even reaches your site to be tempted. I mean, we do this for our kids, right? Why not do it for ourselves? Maybe it's a weight issue that needs to be addressed. You know, I need someone in my life, other than my wife, because that would hurt my feelings tremendously, to tell me, no more double cheeseburgers, okay? Uh, you are at 215 now and you're getting a belly. No more, all right? But we get so defensive. And I'm, I'm, on, I'm the world's worst at this. But the truth is, we would all benefit in our lives from having the self-discipline to eat better and exercise more, right? But you know, like me, sometimes it takes an old friend at a ball game just to walk up to you and say, man, you're getting wide, dude. Look at yourself. That happens, okay? Or uh, your chins, not chin, but your chins are starting to look like your bulldog's chins. That was said to me, okay? Um, but anyway, self-discipline in this area impacts how we feel. And how we feel each day impacts the way that we live our lives, Right? You know, the, the, the Bible is full of stories where God raised up prophets and how he used others to lovingly confront issues, or well, let's just call it what it is, lovingly confront sin in people's lives. And you know what? Jesus is the ultimate example of how to do this with both truth and love or truth and grace. Um, and we got to have both. Dan and I were just talking about this before the service. Too much truth, and we come across as being legalistic. Too much grace, and we come across as taking sin too lightly. And so there is a balance when it comes to this, and we've got to learn to keep the balance. Hence the title of this message today. Jesus was the master at this. Anytime you read through the Scriptures, you constantly see Him balancing this out in a perfect way. But you know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, was pretty good at it himself as modeled by his letters in the church to Corinthians. He wrote uh, at least two of those. And he had planted this church in Corinth. And things in this church, they just started spiraling downward. And there was a lot of sin issues in the church that needed to be addressed. A lot of messy issues that needed to be cleaned up. And so Paul writes this first letter to the Corinthians at this church where he confronts these issues just one right after another, kind of in rapid fire succession. And there's a few helpful verses that you and I need to pay attention to, but, but I want to frame up these verses by asking us a couple of questions for us to think about to see if you and I are speaking the truth in love. All right, so let's look at these couple questions and kind of ask ourselves, am I speaking the truth in love? The first one is this. Think about it when you talk with someone. Is my motive to help or is my motive to hurt? If you're going to talk with somebody, guys, you've got to ask yourself this question beforehand. Is my motive to help or to hurt? Because oftentimes we speak the truth to people, but in our spirit, we mean to hurt them. Right? When we're angry. They've caused us pain, so we're going to cause them some pain. 
And when Paul writes to this church, guys, he he makes his affection for the believers there very, very clear. He refers to them as my dear brothers and sisters. He wants them to know that he cares. And because he cares, that's why I'm going to say what I said to you. And so look at it in 1 Corinthians 4.14. He says, I'm not writing these things to shame you. It's not because I want you to feel bad, he's saying. It's not because I'm, I'm trying to kick you while you're down. He says, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my beloved children. Listen, he says, I'm saying these things as the watchman on the wall, as Ezekiel referred to. And it's because I care about you. That's why I'm saying them. And and you know, guys, the pattern that many of us fall into is we don't speak uh, truth to someone until they have done something significant enough that we're really upset about it. And by the time we speak about it, it's no longer, you know, I don't don't know if I should say anything because I I don't want to hurt their feelings. But now it's turned into, I'm going to say something and I hope it hurts their feelings, right? But Paul, he, he makes it clear that our words are to be spoken in love. Or as my wife says, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself, right? You could say it like that too, I guess. Her and Paul are pretty much the same when it comes to that. But We need to check our motives and we need to ask ourselves, am I saying this to make me feel better? Am I saying this because it will help me? or because it will help them. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, it says, so encourage each other and build each other up. And you know, the idea of encouraging is that you speak courage into the person. You you build them up. In Ephesians 4.29, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be what? and encouragement to those who hear them. And so guys, we're building up. We're not trying to tear people down. And you know, oftentimes we think the most effective way to bring about change is to tear somebody down. And so we're critical and we're harsh, thinking that it's going to bring about some positive results. You know, it might might bring about some temporary change, but ultimately it just brings defeat. Just defeat. It doesn't mean that you're not honest. In fact, you're brutally honest. But we do this to build them up. That's the point. Not to tear them down. Where we're trying to help, not to hurt. And so many times, you know, that when somebody approaches us in these areas, have you noticed that that's the way that we respond back to them? However somebody's spirit is, when they come to us to talk about something, that's usually the way that we respond back. If someone is critical, guess what we are? We criticize back, right? If they're harsh, then we're harsh. If someone attacks us, then we attack back or we become very, very defensive. But what happens when somebody's very vulnerable when they come to you? We become vulnerable, don't we? When someone's humble and transparent with us. We become humble and transparent back to them. If someone is soft-spoken, we're much more apt to be soft-spoken back. We tend to mirror whatever the spirit is of the person who's speaking to us. 
So you want to get an argument, fine. Let's go let somebody have it. But that's not what God intends. The second question is this that we need to ask ourselves. What does my tone communicate? What does my tone communicate? In Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, he references back to the first letter that he'd written them. In 2 Corinthians 2.4, he says, he says, I wrote that letter in great anguish with a troubled heart and many tears. He said, I didn't want to grieve you, but I wanted to let you know how much love that I have for you. Paul says that his spirit was in great anguish just having to say those things. He's writing this in tears. It kind of makes you wonder if the church at Corinth, as they read that first letter that he'd written to them, 1 Corinthians, if they could see where the tears had kind of fell on the page and maybe smeared the ink just a little bit. I mean, he's writing to them with a heavy heart. He's not delighting in it. This is tough for him. And in Colossians 4, 6, the same for us. It says, let your conversations, let them be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. So we speak the truth in love. We're not sitting from the seat of superiority where we think we've got this all figured out. Rather, there's humility where we understand our own brokenness and our own struggles with sin. But at the same time, we also understand how God has rescued us, how how others have helped us along the way. And because of that, we want to do the same thing for other people. Now, because we've judged or condemned them, that's not the reason why to do it. Okay, if we don't care about them, just don't say anything. But the tone that we use, okay, the tone of our truth telling, the spirit in which we say it, listen, it will either build a bridge or it will build a wall every single time. How's your tone? In 2 Corinthians 7, Paul talks about some of the results that came from his words. Look what he says in verse 8. He said, I'm not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while, but, but now I'm, I'm glad I sent it, not because it hurts you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. And so you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, that results in spiritual death. Guys, as a church, we want to be committed to doing the same. But you know what? Especially in the culture we lived in, and Mark Driscoll touched on it in that video, We don't want to say anything because we don't want to offend anybody, right? Isn't that, you know, the the way it goes in our culture nowadays? Don't offend anyone. We want every, every place to be a safe zone. We don't want to run the risk that somebody's going to get upset by something that we might say. And so we never, ever step across that line. But hear me. To do so is the equivalent of spiritual malpractice. 
Okay, it would be like being injured in a car accident. You get in a wreck and you got this broken bone. And so you go to the ER and the doctors run some tests. They do an MRI and they see there's this broken bone. But I mean, they don't they don't want to upset you. They don't want to stress you out. I mean, they want you to feel good about coming to the hospital and paying that money. Okay, and so they just decide that they're going to be very welcoming. They're like, we're so glad you're here. It's so good to see you. I mean. We hope you're doing good today. I mean, I know some things are a little rough right now, but I'm sure they'll get better. We're just glad you're here. We'll load you up with some morphine and we'll send you home in a few minutes. It's just easier on everybody that way if we just do it like that. Did you know that's what the church often does? I mean, we're so glad you're here. We don't want you to feel uncomfortable. And so we're not going to show you these x-rays and talk about what's broken because that's not going to make you feel good about yourself. And so here's some morphine. We'll see you next week. Many churches do that. Guys, if we did that, that's not loving. That's malpractice. So as a church, we've got to be committed to not just preaching and teaching this, but sitting down as brothers and sisters and speaking the truth into one another, but to do it in love. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 18 where you go to the person individually. You know, it's not just about Dave and I preaching or teaching more about a specific area so we can help out the person that you're concerned about. I mean, the truth is they're, they're sitting right next to you. I mean, you work with these people. You live with them. You've known them for years. And we neglect what God has called us to do. It's not about bringing somebody to church and listen to the guy up front talk about this. Don't neglect what God has called you to do. But again, we do this mutually for one another because we really need each other on this spiritual journey we're on. Now listen, I understand. I get it. It's way easier if we just come in here and we just sit down every week. But listen, we need to submit ourselves to one another in accountability if we're going to grow spiritually. Last week after service, some guys from our church, they, they cornered me up here. I mean, they asked me uh, last week, just kidding about the corner. But uh, last week they said, well, hey man, where you been at Life Group? You know, because I'd committed to being there every other week and a few things come up to where I couldn't make it for a couple of the weeks I was supposed to be there. And so they were just concerned. And so they asked me. But you know what? I need that in my life. I need that in my life. But you know, I was thinking yesterday, you, you know the ones who do a really, really good job of this in my life are the ones that I don't even know they're doing it. I mean, I'll eat with a friend or talk with someone on the phone or maybe it's just through text messaging, a close friend, but in that conversation, some things get confronted in a loving way and I didn't even realize that's what was taking place. I mean, some people are so encouraging. They motivate you to make changes without you even realizing it. They're just doing it as a brother who cares about me. We want to do the same thing for other people. And so if you don't have that in your life, you need to realize you need it. It's part of God's design for His church. And so as we close... I just want to encourage you. 
we want to be a place here where the truth is spoken even when it's uncomfortable. So we're going to talk about truth when it comes to sin and salvation. Heaven and hell. Jesus and Satan. We'll speak what the Bible says is true. And you may not like it. And it may make you uncomfortable. And you may just wish we'd say, you know, welcome, we're so glad you're here and leave you alone. But listen, we love you too much for that. Did you hear that? We love you too much for that. So let's just ask God to help us love each other more so that together we can grow and become more like Jesus.